The Bible reading this morning is taken from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Just a little context before we start. This verse depends upon everything that comes before it. And just taken by itself, it's kind of uh, uh, difficult to understand. But Greg's going to unpack that for us this morning. And let's uh, take a look at it and read it as we go through. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you and of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Have you ever wondered if maybe, just maybe, you married the wrong person? I mean, the one you got is all right, but come on, could you have done better? Or did you marry and your dreamboat turned into a shipwreck? And you did everything you could to make that marriage work, but it takes two to tango, doesn't it? And no matter how hard you tried, they kept sabotaging the relationship. And now you're wondering, is there even a possibility of a good relationship? Or maybe you're single, and you, you've, you've done the dating thing. You've dated some squirrels, and you're, you're starting to wonder if you're ever going to find the right person. Well, if you're in one of those situations, I have a possible solution. It is marry yourself. I don't think you can read everything on the top of that box. But that is a I Married Me self-wedding in a box kit. You can get them online. Marry yourself. And if you need help, the box kit will show you. Now, before you dismiss this as just a joke, CNN put this on the news, y'all. And everybody knows CNN. They're dependable. But they aired an interview with the kit designers. Proponents of self-marriage. Now, self-marriage is called sologamy. That's how I'm pronouncing it. Sologamy. Monogamy is one person and one person. Polygamy is one person and more. Monogamy or sologamy is just, just one. Just one person. And people who are proponents of marrying yourself... They, they say the goal is to acknowledge that you are a lovable, adorable, amazing person with fabulous qualities. The kit designers put it this way, if you like yourself, perhaps you ought to put a ring on yourself. The I Married Me self-wedding in a box kit includes some preparation for the ceremony, a process in which you think through all the qualities you really admire about you. And also included in the kit is ceremony instructions, complete with three promises to me vows. In case you don't know how to make any, they're going to show you. And last, certainly not least, the kit contains a handmade ring, a tangible reminder that the simplest thing you can do for a happier, more content life is love yourself. Kits cost between $50 and $200, depending on the type of ring you choose. But I'm going to warn you, this is a do-it-yourself deal. 
If you need a little more experience helping you, you can go to selfmarriageceremonies.com. And for just $200, you can enroll in a 10-week initiation into sacred union with your self-study guide. Uh, you probably can't read all that, but just in case you're interested, for 200 bucks, you won't get a ring, but you will get 10 weeks of personal guidance, practice, and the freedom to ask questions to support you in marrying yourself. And you'll get a weekly email from self-marriage with questions and practices and inspirational writings. You'll get clear step-by-step -step guidance from your self-engagement in week one to your self-marriage in week 10. And you'll get six recordings of what they call self-marriage calls. I'm, I'm not sure what that is, but they say it, it deepens you in your practice of being married to yourself. And additionally, you will have the support of the sisterhood, or you'll have a support from a sisterhood through the Self-Marriage Unveiled Facebook page. Since it's called a sisterhood, I'm assuming you guys can't join this one. But you can go and buy that self-marriage kit. You know, what's the point of all this? We're continuing our study of marriage within the Home Depot sermon series Jimmy and I are working on. And the reason I wanted to start with the sologamy idea is to point out what I think is a legitimate question. Who decides what marriage is? Who has the right to say? What authority shows us? Is everybody free to just invent their own description of marriage? I mean, is marriage between one man and one woman for life? Or would a better idea be it's a temporary arrangement that we change as we go along in life. First you marry for romance, and then a second marriage for career support, and a third marriage for financial security, and, the, and then a fourth marriage to find somebody to take care of you when you're too old to take care of yourself. Who's to say? Can men marry men? Can women marry women? Can adults marry children? Can we marry our pets? Some people do, you know, Google it. You'll find out who those weirdos are. Some people marry inanimate objects, things. Just who calls the shots in determining what a marriage is? Or are there just no shots to be called? We all do our own thing. Well, I propose that we let God's word guide us on marriage. I mean, after all, he invented it. Last week we studied that first marriage in the Garden of Eden, and we learned that God meant for it to be a reciprocal relationship in which a husband and wife joined together as partners to meet each other's needs, to raise a family, to make their way through the world. They joined together so completely that they could be referred to as one flesh. And even their differences contribute to the oneness because they're complementary in nature, meaning that, that the two individuals are better together than either one is alone. Now, when I originally planned these two sermons, I thought I'd do a Sunday on what husbands need from wives. 
And then I do a Sunday on what wives need from husbands. But I ran into the question I just described. Who gets to say? What expert do we consult? What authority do we trust? See, I believe that everything Jimmy and I say from this pulpit should have a biblical basis. We might not always have the time to explain it all to you, but it should be there. So before telling you what anybody thinks marriage should be, before telling you what I think wives need from their husbands, I, I believe we need to look and see what the Bible says about it. What's the Bible's viewpoint? I can't rush into my advice until I make certain my advice squares with God's advice. Now, let's reread the verse Don did earlier. And as he said, I didn't tell him to say this, but this is part of a larger thought. But this is for you guys who want it simple as you can get it. This is for the folks who don't want to do the heavy stuff. The Bible clearly says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Here, God is telling husbands what their wives need. It's, it's addressed to the men. Husbands, here's what God says. And according to God, your wife needs you to be considerate with her. If you do a little research on that word, it, it means treat her according to your knowledge of her. Know your wife. Know what makes her tick. Know what makes her happy. Know what makes her sad. And take into consideration who and what she is as you live with her. It's not just about you, singular. It's about y'all, plural. And the two, y'all, become one, singular. According to God, your wife needs you to be considerate of her. And the verse goes on, says, to respect her. Be considerate, respect. And he names two specific ways we need to respect our wives. One is respect that she's your partner but she's weaker than you. Now, I think by weaker, he simply means that men are physically stronger than women. If you want to hurt her, guys, you're strong enough to do it. Your superior physical strength gives you the means to bully, to intimidate, to threaten, to force your ways on her, just like a bully on the playground forces his or her ways on the other kids Husbands mistreat their wives and they get away with it because, come on, he can hurt her worse than she can hurt him. If you respect your wife as your partner, your weaker partner, you will never take advantage of her that way. Respect her as your weaker partner and then respect her as a co-heir with you of the gracious gift of life. Now, I wrestled with gift of life. What does that mean? I think it could just mean physical life. God created Adam and he created Eve. They're both living beings. God 
God doesn't favor males over females in that regard. God wants eternal, God wants uh, to give them both life. And then he also wants to give both of them eternal life. We may take the gift of life as the eternal life we can have through Christ. Being male doesn't make you any more spiritual or alive than your wife. Just as God gave you life, he gave her life. And just as God promises eternal life to you, he promises it to her. Respect that. So God says, your wife needs you to consider her in all that you do and show her respect for who she is now and who she's going to be in eternity. That's verse 7. If that's all you can handle, tune out for a little bit because we're going to keep going and look at verses 8 and 9. Now notice in verses 8 and 9 he's speaking to everybody. It's no longer just to husbands. He's addressing everyone. So this applies to husbands and wives and parents and children and neighbors. But we're going to focus on husbands and wives. Brothers, here's how God wants you to treat your wife. And sisters, here's how God wants you to treat your husbands. Read it. Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers and sisters. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Tell me, if your spouse treated you that way, they tried to live in harmony with you. They were sympathetic. They loved you like family. They were compassionate. And they were humble. And they never repaid evil with evil or insult with insult. Instead, they repaid with blessing. Would you have any difficulty loving them or trusting them or respecting them or finding joy in the relationship? Or, now here's the word in the text everybody hates, submitting to them. See, I didn't tell you earlier, but this chapter, as it talks about husbands and wives, it actually begins with the wife. We've only talked about the instructions to the husbands. Instructions to wives come earlier in the paragraph, but I chose not to begin at the start of the section because too many people read that first verse and they turn off their brain. It is so offensive to them that they stop listening right there without considering the whole paragraph. The section begins back up in verse 1. Here's what it says. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. There's the dirty word. Submit. Some people can't be, get beyond the negative connotation they put on that word. And I think if I had started at verse 1 today and said, let's talk about husbands and wives. Wives, you need to be submissive. I'd have lost most of you right there. Our preconceived ideas of what that means would have blocked our ability to hear what God's really saying. Because, listen, God's not demeaning women. God's not saying you're your husband's lap dog and you must obey him. Within context, he's saying to both husbands and wives, 
they should show the same consideration for each other that Jesus has shown for them. Now here's why I say that. There's a common phrase in the beginning of the instructions to the wife and the beginning of the instructions to the husband. The phrase is, in the same way. In the same way, wives, submit to your husbands. In the same way, husbands, love and respect your wives. In the same way, in the same way as what? What he was talking about just before he said this. That's how paragraphs work. Peter's talking about the way Jesus sacrificed himself for us. And he submitted to the shame and the humiliation of the cross for our sakes. And then he says in the same way. That self-sacrificial consideration. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. And husbands... Be considerate and respectful of your wives. Now tell me, if your spouse treated you with the same sacrificial love that Jesus shows, would you have any trouble loving them, respecting them, finding joy in the relationship, trusting them, submitted, or submitting to them? Once we understand the mutual sacrifice God calls for from husbands and wives. We don't have any more difficulty with submission. It's a mutual submission. Now, to prove that to you, I have to go to another verse. This gets a little bit deeper, so you you might want to tune out on this part too. (laughs) But let's look at mutual submission. And we're going to look at Ephesians 5, which is another passage just like this one. The Apostle Paul says the same thing the Apostle Peter says. Wives, uh, submit to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives like you love yourself. But before he says both of those things, he begins the whole paragraph with, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's his thesis sentence. You submit to one another. And then he starts picking off specific cases. Wives, here's what that means for you. Husbands, here's what that means for you. He goes on down. Parents, here's what that means for you. Children, here's what that means for you. He even gets down to the slavery issue. They had slavery back then, so he had to deal with it. And he tells masters how to treat their slaves. And slaves how to treat their masters in a mutual submission. In all those examples, he's demanding mutual submission. That might be a little bit too complicated, but and oh, by the way, if you want to know, if you want to know why he he makes the man the head, mutual submission, but the man's the head. You're gonna to have to come next Sunday night, Sunday night church. I'm gonna talk about that then. Sunday night crowds tolerate this stuff better than some of us. With that basis laid, let me make a couple of suggestions about what wives need from their husbands. And both of these things are those places where the way women deal with stuff and the way men deal with stuff are so different. It makes communication difficult. I mean, we are different. We're different in the way, say, for example, we express friendship. If Laura, Susie, Deborah, and Rose go out for lunch, they will refer to each other as Laura, Susie, Deborah, and Rose. But if Mike, Charlie, Bob, and Bill go out for lunch, 
they will refer to each other as fat boy and Godzilla and buzzard breath and useless. Don't try that with your wife. We're different in how we relate to our friends. We're different in how we relate to our children. A wife knows all about the children. She knows when their next dentist appointment is, who her best friends are, what her favorite food is. A husband, he's vaguely aware there's some short people living in his house with him. We're different. We're different in the way we approach going out into the public. You know, women, they get dressed up and made up anytime they go anywhere. And they still feel pretty insecure about their appearance. A man, he can strut down through the wall wearing mismatched t-shirts and short sandals with socks and big old hairy legs and still think he's a knockout. <laughs> the point is, guys, your wife has a language. And to communicate with her, I should have went on to this slide. To communicate with her, you have to learn her language and use it. It's not easy. Would take some time for conversation. Women like to talk. Have you noticed that? A woman walked into her house one day and her husband's stalking around the house with a fly swatter in his hand. She kind of giggled and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm hunting flies, killing them. And she said, well, have you killed any? And he said, yep. Yeah. Three women and two men. <laughs> and she said, well, how do you know the difference? He said, well, three were on the telephone and two were on the remote control. <laughs> Women like to talk. To your wife, conversation sends the signal that you really care. And she needs you to engage with her. A woman will bond with the person who listens to her and engages. Be sure you're the one. Now, I think us guys instinctively know this early on in a relationship, but somewhere along the way we forget it. I mean, while we're dating, we usually manage to find at least an hour or two every day to engage with her. Why does that stop when we get married? If it's part of what won her love, won't it be part of what keeps her love and nurtures it? Women fall in love with men who set aside time to exchange conversation with them. Now, here's the good news, guys. For the most part, you don't have to start the conversation. She will. She'll start it. All you have to do is join in. If the best you can do is grunt and groan, do that. But send a signal that you're listening. Look her in the eye. Give her your full attention. Learn to ask some open-ended questions like, tell me more about that? Or, say that again? Or maybe, now, now when that happened, how did that make you feel? And then pause, because she will tell you. But remember, engaging in conversation is loving to a wife. It's not fair to say I'm the strong, silent type. You married me like this, you get to take me like this. We can do better. We can do better. Okay, she also needs your affection. 
Now, guys, don't jump the gun here. Husbands spell affection S-E-X. Wives do not. That's part of it. But affection is anything you do or say that sends a message to her that you care about, that you value her, that you cherish her, that you appreciate her. There's nothing more important to a woman than knowing her husband values and respects her. Now, if you need to know exactly what to do to communicate affection to your wife, ask her. She's the expert on her, and she'll tell you. Now, ladies, play fair. If he asks, don't say, well, if you have to ask, it don't mean anything. Of course he has to ask. He's different from you. Just be thankful he asked. And tell him, write it down for him. Do this for me and I will feel affected. He'll probably handle it better. Well, guys, just in case she doesn't tell you, here's some hints on showing affection. Kiss her every morning. Every morning, kiss your wife. Tell her you love her before you leave for work and maybe even kiss her again. If schedule permits, call her during the day just to check in. Bring her occasionally, bring her an inexpensive gift or flowers. If it's a, if it's a gift, be sure and include a card. It really, it really earns points if it's a gift if you wrap it. Now, I'm a male. I do not understand the significance of cards with gifts or wrapping. To me, it's a waste of time, waste of money, waste of space. Why? Well, we're not talking about what seems good to me. We're talking about knowing our wives and knowing what seems good to her in meeting her needs. If she likes her gifts wrapped, wrap that sucker. Do it for her. After work, call her before you leave for home. Call her on the phone at a red light on the way home so she can know when to expect you. When you arrive home, first thing you do is give her a kiss. And then spend a, spend a few minutes talking with her about her day. How was your day? And listen. Look at her and listen. Go to bed at the same time every night. And kiss her good night before you go to sleep. Little things like that. Communicate affection. They say to her, I care about you. I cherish you. You're important to me. I'm here for you. Now what's in what's in this for you guys? You can become the irresistible husband. You can't. Maybe not as men see it, but as wives do. When he meets her need for communication by talking with her and trying to understand her, not to advise her or change her, just to listen and to hear and to know. Remember, being considerate means according to knowledge. When the, when the man meets his wife's need for affection, with plenty of hugs and kisses at every opportunity. He tells her how much he loves her with a steady flow of words and thoughtful deeds. When a husband exhibits these qualities to his wife, she will find him irresistible. May not sound macho, but 
but I don't find a whole lot about macho in Scripture. What does God say about it? Now, ladies, I know a lot more could be said, but come on. We know husbands can only handle, only absorb so much at one time. So let's quit while we're ahead. They look like they're still listening. If I try to stretch this out another point or two, I'll probably lose the husbands. So out of respect for them, we won't give them any more today than they can digest. God meant for marriage to be this intimate relationship between two partners, male and female, the equal in his eyes. They're equally valuable to him. He made them both. He made you. He made your wife. Treat her like God's gift to you. Treat her that way in such a way that she understands it. If you love her, don't call her buzzard bread. That says something to a friend. It says something else to your wife. Know her. Learn to speak her language. And the differences that you have will become complementary that make each of you better together than you ever were alone. I think I'll stop there. That all right? Can we stop? Would you call that good? Would. Okay. So we'll stop. We do want to sing a song, though, for those of you who might need a need for prayer, have a need for prayer, or you want to, you want to counsel with some of our elders or their wives. And so we're going to sing a couple of songs, give you time to think about it. If you want to come to Christ, we've got everything we need right here. We can bury you in baptism. You can walk away a new creature today. New creation. I like that better than new creature. A new creation. So would you stand together while we sing?